millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Ruler Podcast, supported by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance, powered by the community. I'm Ian Parkinson. On this edition, I'm joined by Rouleur's executive editor, Ian Cleverly, world and national champion, Olympic and Commonwealth medalist, commentator and jewellery maker, Rob Hales, and Morgane Bigot from the innovative bike clothing brand, Café du Cycliste. Well, first, we've rightly celebrated the Tour de France victory of 22-year-old Egan Bernal. I was in San Sebastián a few days ago and saw the extraordinary performance by 19-year-old Remco Evenpoel. But now, this week, we have the terrible news from the Tour of Poland that another member of that very talented young generation, Lotto Sedal's Bjorg Lambrecht, has died following a crash on stage three. Uh, Rob, I guess it is a reminder, if we ever needed one, that uh, cycling can be a really dangerous sport. Unfortunately so. I think it, it, it's part and parcel, isn't it, of just stepping out the door every day. Um, you, you expect to go out, ride your bike, race your bike, commute to work, and uh, every time you, you, you never think that you're not actually going to come home. Your loved ones aren't going to come home. And it's uh, unfortunately, I've, I've seen it on, on several occasions, and it does bring it home how dangerous it is. You, you go out there with a number on your back to race, and at any one moment, it can all be taken away from you, your friends and your family. And it's absolutely catastrophic when it does happen. Like I say, it's, it's not the first time that it's happened. And unfortunately, I can't see this being the last either. And one of the things that always strikes me about professional cycling, talking to riders, but talking also to mechanics, team managers, whatever, is it's a very small world, actually, is it? I mean, I know it's a cliche, but it is a bit of a family, isn't it? It is. And, and when you look on social media, I got the message yesterday uh, from Rob Hatch, who was actually commentating on the event and uh, I then had a look on social media and, and when you see the outpouring from people um, people who never knew him in tears and, and that's the thing it, it, is a, it is a small thing I can remember driving um, to Leicester for a, a squad session back in the day and hearing on the radio that Casartelli had died I had to pull over I didn't know the guy. I'd never met the guy myself but uh, when, it, when it's part and parcel of what, what we do as 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 a community, as as cyclists, it really does hit home. And Fabio Casartelli's death, of course, did lead to some changes in, in safety. After Fabio Casartelli's death, uh, riders were obliged to wear helmets. But there doesn't seem to be much more left that can be done for rider safety, except people talk about you know, road furniture, about traffic management, that sort of thing. But how do you make bike racing safer? It's difficult, isn't it, because... 
and it, it's not an arena event. Cycling on the velodrome has has gone through through different uh, different stages. Obviously, safety there with with barriers and uh, the the fencing around velodromes just get, gets changed. But road racing, you're out on the open road, and that's part of the thing. As a cyclist, you're out training. You you're in your office. We're in our office, and we're amongst other people with the traffic and obviously with the road events they can make changes where they'll make ramps they'll take bollards out in places but but ultimately you you're restricted and having to deal with with what is thrown at you and, and you never know what's around the next bend it is i mean you look at the ride london surrey races at the weekend there were massive crashes in both the men's and the women's races could easily have have, have lost somebody in either of those and it just just as just as easily and it's it's um what you can do going forward from this, whether there will be any kind of the authorities would look at it and, and think, well, what, what more can we do? Um, I would hope so, but I'm not sure what they can. It's a, so often it's it, it's just a rider error, misjudgment, something like that. All it takes is an inch further to the left or an inch further to the right, and you can go from having a small injury and some grazes to something absolutely catastrophic. And it's unfortunately i think it is just part and parcel of of what we do and like i say you, you can step out of your door in the morning just just traveling to work and and these things can happen um and it, it will never be eradicated and that's that it, unfortunately it's something that that we will have to deal with it's obviously it's not been the first and uh, i'm sure it won't be the last looking back at your career rob i've always thought your career is interesting it's interesting in many ways but in one particular way you sort of your career sort of spanned two ages in british cycling really didn't it because you started very much in the old days if you if, if, for the, for want of a better word before when the metal we, factory yeah when when we literally had tens of thousands of pounds of funding quite literally to uh, across the board with Doug Daly who was uh, he was kind of the Dave Brailsford of of the day but he was also the masseur he was the logistics he was driving the car he was the team manager we had Sandy Gilchrist who was who was the mechanic and that was about as far as it got I think there were probably four or five people in British Cycling now you go to British Cycling to the offices half the people don't know each other it's there's that many people and yeah the, the funding is absolutely bonkers and when you look at the the kit the equipment my, my first Olympics the first Olympics that I went to not Barcelona that was non-traveling reserve which I've, I'm over it now don't worry but um Atlanta we were on our own bikes and as far as it got to being a squad bike was we had them all painted the same color and that was that was it but we had them painted blue Cote d'Azur blue so when we were in the team pursuit line and when start things started to get blurry we couldn't see the bike in front of us because it just blended in the background but uh and I was get like, away with that now. You get like two skin suits and they take them back afterwards well, kind of job. Well, no, it, it was. We started when skin suits were a leather chamois, a proper leather chamois, and it had been used, I don't know, on how many events before, and you got this thing and it was, you were having to, to kind of rub it and and get some cream in it and because otherwise you, you may as well have been sat on sandpaper and, yeah, giving it, giving it back at, at uh, the end of the weekend. And... It's night and day now, absolutely night and day. And, and when you talk to some of the riders now, the youngsters coming through and the expectation of what they are, you, you hear about them moaning, well, I'm having to ride and race on a bike that, that Chris Hoy rode in, in Athens. And you're like, well, 
yeah, they were designed, to, you know, they, they could be used in the next 10, 15 years and they, they just have nothing to compare it to. So, so you can't blame them for that, but it, it's completely different. And it, it is a little bit upsetting when you see people get silvers and bronze medals and they come off the podium really disappointed in their first major games or their first or second year as a senior and you think, come on, it's... It is bonkers. You're in danger of turning into a Monty Python sketch here. It's like, oh, I think you had it rough. You think exactly, but but then, yeah, but but then I, I remember being in um in a road race and Wayne Randall was was on the squad at the time, and it was '97 when we were talking or '96, '97, talking about the funding coming in, and he was like. I'm owed some back pay, the amount of kickings I've had over the years for, for this lot. But it's incredible to see now and, and to be on this side of the fence of it, looking in on the racing and, and commentating on it. And it, it's, it's amazing to see the Brits doing well, the likes of Pidcock, what he's doing. We, even a poll, you mentioned that. The, no, how old is it? 19. 19. 19 to win San Sebastian. And, and you see these youngsters coming through and uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But, but the Brits, we're, we're doing all right now. We're holding our own and we're, we're leading the way on where I could never have envisaged back, kind of back in, my, back, back in the good old days. You, you just, it's bonkers, absolutely nuts to think about it. It's not that long now till Tokyo, is it? Um, the, do you get any sense that other nations are, are really catching up? Yeah, massively, with, yeah. massively. And I, I think that, that's a thing on, on the track, certainly. The, we've kind of led the way off the back of... We, we copied what the Australians were doing. And the British squad have been... I think they, they haven't been popular because they, they, they've, either, they've either won everything or they'll win nothing. Because the trouble is they look in every event as kind of as an equal. And if they take their foot off the gas, they take it off the gas across the board whereas other nations the French for instance they all look at the sprint side and then you'll have the Aussies the the New Zealanders looking at the team pursuit side so there there are all these nations who are who are kind of looking in their own little areas whereas GB pretty much do it across the board so that they they've got to keep the the foot on the gas and it's going to be difficult I think this time round when you when you look at some of the riders who are involved, you, you get between really good stars of, of the sport and future stars of the sport. So it, it's going to be interesting because the gains are, they're smaller to be had and you're looking at minute details, but other nations are starting to catch up. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think we're going to be seeing the, uh, the medal hall that we, that we have had across the board, but uh, they, they might surprise me. Yeah, you mentioned France, New Zealand, uh, Australia there. Do you think that's where the big threats to GB are coming from? Are there any other sort of dark horses? Yeah, well, when you look at the, the likes of the Swiss squad, I can remember looking at the results of a, of a World Cup and seeing the, the Swiss going down kind of under four minutes in a qualification for, for team pursuit and thinking, really? This way? But, yeah, but I remember it's... the Swiss squad from a couple of years ago and it was about two people it was you know it was it was a really tiny operation yeah mass- massively so and 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 you, you look at the 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 americans where they came from obviously with with the the la olympic they they were winning everything they they were all over the place and then jamie staff who was with the squad and then he went back to america 
to to kind of be their coach and he said oh my word it's different because he was he was doing the doing the Doug Daly of the back in the day he was helping out with the mechanics sorting the bikes out doing the the shuttle runs from the airport and was the coach as well and and that's the thing when you haven't got the budgets you have to you have to spread all the resources spread them really thin and that's one of the things that that the Great Britain squad don't have to do there are a lot of people kind of at the village, I mean, the track centre, there's more staff than riders, but they've all got their specific job to do. And, and that's one of the reasons why Team Sky and Ineos, and that they, they obviously took that model. They've got the money and uh, everybody there is to do their little job, but concentrate on it and do it very well. Do you sometimes wish you were born a few years later? Yes and no. Yeah, there, there is that. When you, when you see the, I mean, some of the lads now and you see their monthly tax bills more than I used to earn in a year and thing, and, and they're moaning about it. I'm thinking, yeah, my heart's bleeding for you. So, so there's that side of it and, and looking at the, the performances that are done and, and the infrastructure just across the board and the nutrition, the equipment. And it would be great to, to be part of that. But at the same time, it was nice to have had a foot in both camps. And the flip side is I've... I've been able to retire. I retired the end of 2011, and rather than actually have to get a job, which I probably would have had to have done maybe five, six years prior to retiring, retiring, there's more opportunities now. Obviously, with the commentary, with the boom in cycling, is is bonkers. Are you saying commentary is not a job? It, it's work. It's not a job. I, I like to think. Yeah, I, it's, I, not, I, it's not a nine to five. No, um, and and the thing is, I I. I like to do lots of different things. And so as much as I enjoy commentary, if it was my only source of work, I think it might do my head in a little bit. The traveling is great, but it's also nice to be at home. And that and that's the thing as a commentator, full-time commentator, you, you're away a lot, whether it's on site, on the finish line at an event, or whether it's in a studio doing, doing off-tube commentary. Um, and so I, I I like a variation of things. So yeah, plenty of work, but not a job. I had a job back in '92 when I retired. Didn't like it much. Didn't like it much no, same place every day. Well, one of the things you do, and a lot of people will know this through following you on Instagram, is that you make jewellery. Where did that come from? I've always made stuff. Back at school, I used to take needlework home with me. I used to love doing stuff like that. Anything involving paperwork and writing that stayed in the drawer at school didn't no interest at all academically absolutely no interest but creatively I loved it and I I like to think that's how I raced a little bit was creatively with making things back in the day I wanted a pair of Oakley eye shades you know the big I couldn't afford them so I made my own and then when it just things like that and, and then carbon fiber I used to make little fairings and bits for my bike to make it go fast. I probably should have been spending more time out training. That probably would have helped. But You repair uh, carbon as well, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, know? well, I, yeah, that, that's the thing. It started, I've got a workshop now at home in the Peak District, so I do, I do carbon repairs. I've, I've worked with carbon. I, I did my own handlebars or, or adapted my handlebars in 2000 for the Olympics. And it's just gone from there, really. I, I worked alongside uh, Demetrius, who did the, the original UKSI bikes, the Olympic bikes, all the original Boardman stuff. He's now gone on to do the Pinarello F8, F10, and whatever the latest incarnation is this week. He's, I think he's been involved with that. 
and so he's helped me along the way with it and then passed on a lot of the GB repairs, all, all the Mavic stuff. There are guys still still riding on, on Mavic stuff that I'd repaired five, six, six years ago. So it's gone from that. Was there the misconception when like the early carbon frames came out where like, if you get a dink in it, it's like we just throw it away? Well, that's part of the reason why I enjoy repairing now is being able to hand something back to people. I've, I've had grown men hug me with you know, a six-month-old bike that they've spent, I dread to think how much money on. And, and there is that misconception of, oh, once it's broken, that's it, throw it away. No, you don't, you don't do that. If, if you ding a, an Airbus A380, they don't just throw it away. They, they repair it. And it, it is very repairable in, on most occasions. And so, yeah, it, it's nice to be able to do that. And, and I, I ride a bike myself that, that I've repaired. I know people who have raced on bikes, raced on kit years after I, I repaired it. So, I, so I'm, you know, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to send my kids out. My kids ride on, on wheels that I've, I've replaced sections between spokes. I've got a pair of Mavics on my coffee shop bike. I can't leave it outside a coffee shop because it's got five grand's worth of wheels in it. But I've re- repaired that. In fact, I did, a, I did a rear one. I converted a front to a rear. And then they gave me another one. Because they knew I was repairing them, they cut the, the, the rim out between the two of the spokes. So I just bonded it back in. And I'll go down the hill, send my daughter down the hill, and 40 miles an hour with the front brake on, it's not a problem. So how did that end up in uh, making jewellery then? It started through my brother-in-law who was, who was, making, he was making knives and furniture as part of his business. And we were talking about handles, and he was using... Bogwood, which is kind of 5,000-year-old wood that's been at the bottom of a bog in the silt and just really rare and random stuff. And we, we spoke about doing it in carbon fibre because when you, when you start sanding the carbon fibre and going through the layers, the patterns are absolutely amazing. I wouldn't try it on your top tube, but uh, it looks it, it, very pretty patterns. And so it went from that and then talking to a couple of people, oh, yeah, I've got a carbon fibre ring, basically from a set of handlebars, just cut a section out of a some carbon fiber handlebars and sand it and get it to fit on your finger so it it just went from that and i started looking at what a lot of people are doing in america there's there's a lot of people out there doing it over the states but not so much in the uk and i thought well i'll i'll have a go so i've got my workshop set up and then i i waited about six months got myself a lathe so i can now rather than just doing carbon fiber i can i can work with titanium stainless steel and start putting the rings together with different different materials and it and it is it's just a and do people it. commission you to do stuff it's all it's all commission, all commission. yeah yeah I, i'm not sat there with with shelves and shelves of, of rings of various sizes waiting for people to order them I, I'll, I'll make them to order so a lot of the stuff on my instagram i'll make for myself as my sample and put it out there and and show i mean there's so many things out there that i want to do and again it's, it's just time I'll, I'll be I'll be in the workshop pretty much four months solid over the winter when I'm not commentating, but that that's when I kind of really get my hands stuck in. And then yeah, I've, I do a lot of wedding rings, so it's it's all to order. I've got rings in that I've made that have gone to Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, South Africa, America, and at the moment it's just all word of mouth and and recommendations and, and just through Instagram, like like my carbon repairs. I don't advertise. I don't. It's it's just all coming through through word of mouth and are they mainly cyclists who want kind of carbon fiber or titanium rings it, it is yes at the moment and and that's the thing when i when i see the, the tour for instance you see riders on the mountains and that and they 
they are so particular about equipment and the weight of equipment. And that's half the reason why you see all these mechanical issues in the mountains, because they won't put an old they won't put an old Tegra rear mech on, which are the ones suited for the big dinner plate yeah. sprocket. So they want to go the the full Durace. And then they get problems because the, 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 the software just sticks two fingers up and says, No, that's not working. So they're prepared to go to that length to be lightweight and obviously pair themselves down as light as they can be. And then you see them with a big dobbin piece of jewellery around their neck and you go, what are you doing? Carbon fibre, titanium, it's the only way. I mean, I, I started making key rings as well because people will, will go out on a 14 gram bike, be as light as possible. Okay, they, they could probably trim themselves down. But then they're happy to go out with a big set of dobbin keys in their pocket. And you go, what? you've just undone all that work so I can make a 1.8 gram titanium carbon fiber keyring to go on your little key and it's it's all part of it. it's a marginal gain for your coffee shop run i do you've got you brought some samples of your rings here the one i can't get my head around is you've got one that's actually got wood from the manchester velodrome on a ring yes how'd you do that can't tell you <laughs> the, the one that i'm holding in my hand now is, is is my own sample but it's it's got a titanium liner and then i get a, a block of of the the velodrome put that in the lathe, turn it down. I have to stabilise it because otherwise it flies off everywhere because it's actually a crappy piece of wood. But once it's stabilised, it's fine. And then you cut the grooves in. And obviously, because because I am Carbon Concepts, the black line, I've, I've put the lines of the velodrome on. The black line is carbon fibre, obviously. And then, then the red and the blue lines that I've set, that that's basically... A, a, I either use a resin, a coloured resin, or, or in this case a coloured thread and then the whole thing is set within uh, within a, um, a UV resin and it's polished and buffed that's and, incre- and it's I, incredibly intricate it's how gorgeous isn't it it's amazing how, how only a trachy would know yeah. Yeah. how yeah. long does it take to uh, this one there's probably about five to six hours involved in oh, not in, that long in then. this ring it's no it's not too bad o- over the period of a day or so of, of doing bits it, it's quite involved and there are various. There, there are simple ones that I do out of out of pure carbon fiber. I, I get stuff from um, Red Bull Formula One team, so bits that that should be on cars. They, I get those to use different thicknesses and different weaves, and then the the titanium stuff, which has really taken off. And and yeah, it 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 is the the only limitation really is is my imagination, my skill set to a certain extent. I did do engineering. When I when I used to work back in in the nineties, I did basic engineering there. So I've, it, it was a long time since I'd worked on a lathe. So I was I was a little bit little bit scared when I first got it in in on my own property in my own workshop, especially with the titanium, because you start reading about machining titanium, a very hard metal. And I did set the first one on fire because if if you turn it too fast, it uh, yeah it lights up and you can't put it out. So that was a little bit scary for a while. And presumably the wood from the velodrome, you don't just go down there and nick it, do you? It's, it's old wood, is it? Yeah, because it, yeah, it was recently resurfaced again. Um, and so I've, I've, I managed to get hold of, I've got about six, seven metres worth. So so these rings, I've got, I've got a few, a bit of stock to make these, but it's not a limitless supply. Morgan, do you think um, that Rob's uh, work here would have a, a wider market? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was actually thinking I might take a picture of this to just show it to, you know, friends or colleagues or even clients because uh, I think it's uh, very clever and uh, people would really like this. 
it does start out with obviously most of the people who follow me on Instagram where, where I, I show my stuff it comes from a cycling side which is why a lot of it is cycling inspired so obviously the velodrome one I've done a world championship bands I recently did um, a British championship and if you look the one closest to you did a British championship one which um and what's that made out of? Because it's white, which it's, obviously with the uh, yeah, red well, my, stripes. Yeah, my plan is to actually learn how to turn ceramics, which is something that I haven't done as yet. And I'm not sure if the, the kit that I've got will be man enough to do it. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll find is out. Is that going to be even tougher than titanium? I think, yeah. Titanium, you have to turn very slow. And actually, it turns really nice, titanium. Once, once you get the speeds and the feed rates right, it's really nice to work with. It, it cuts like butter with with new tooling. Ceramics, I think, is the opposite. You've got to turn it really, really fast. And yeah, I might. I don't know. I might try it on someone else's kit beforehand. But but that is actually. I've tried casting my own resins in white, which I've had various um, various levels of success with that, especially when I'm combining it with carbon fiber. But um, but that is a, it's called Delrin and it's 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 just um, kind of a, a composite plastic, very hard wearing and it, and it's it's and they last well. are they because because yeah uh, rings take a lot of wear don't yeah they? that and that's the thing and that especially when you're doing wedding rings it's it's something that hopefully is going to last people a little bit more than than half a dozen years or so it's you know it should be for life for them so so you've got to bear that in mind as well longer than their marriage hopefully. long yeah quite potentially yes and you're going to be at the Ruler Classic. Um, so, and will you be showing off some of your jewellery and other work there? Most definitely, yes. Yeah, we're going to have Rob on the on the ruler stand. Um, while we're on the ruler classic uh, tickets, if you want to get uh, early bird tickets, you've only got until the end of this month. So get stuck in twenty five pounds upwards. Guests announced so far, um, as well as Rob, of course, Matt Heyman, uh, Phil Anderson, Sean Yates, Damiano Canigo, and uh, many, many more to follow. But that's just it for starters. Uh, if you go to the Ruler website, get your tickets there. You're listening to the Ruler podcast, sponsored by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. My name is Rupert Englander. Um, I'm a self-confessed mammal, and uh, I've been a member of Lacquer since probably about January 2018. I just love the model. The fact that the crowd is insuring itself, I, I think, is a, is a really great approach. Um, it kind of seems to be taking insurance back to the uh, the roots of insurance in terms of the way it was first done all those hundreds of years ago. The sort of the thing that really captured me was the fact that if there were no insurance claims in the in the crowd that particular month, then you wouldn't actually pay a premium at all. Worst case scenario, you had a full premium payout every month you'd still be in line with the rest of the industry but actually if you consider that in many months there may not be a claim it would end up a lot cheaper and actually in the first year i think um five of my 12 months i had absolutely no premium whatsoever and you can find out more about lacquer by going to their website laka.co.uk so you're listening to the Ruler Podcast with me, Ian Parkinson, Ian Cleverly, Rob Hales, and Morgan Bigot of Café du Cycliste. Um, Café du Cycliste uh, is quite a small brand. Uh, how long has it been going? So it's been exactly 10 years this year. Uh, the brand uh, basically started, well, in uh, 2009. Back then, they basically um, started off from a little cafe in the backcountry of, you know, the Côte d'Azur. And um, it was purely them 
really enjoying, well, obviously riding and being very close to, you know, other cyclists. Um, they realized that they could potentially do something that would, you know, stand out from the mass. Very French aesthetic about it, isn't it? Yeah, very French aesthetic. Uh, but then adding some kind of like very avant-gardist design to it. And are they still based in the Côte d'Azur? Well, most of the company is based in this, but we have a store here in London. So this attracts a lot of people, people coming from Asia, Australia, South Africa, South America. And the interesting thing is that those people aren't just, you know, pure road cyclists. We've got a good range of, you know, cyclists, but doing different things such as mountain biking, gravel, obviously commuting as well. And this is where we've, you know, over time basically adapt what we do uh, in our trend. Have you found um, Café du Cycliste is more popular outside France than in France? Because it's always struck me that the French market is quite conservative. Yes, absolutely. So what you need to know about the French market or certain countries in Europe, such as uh, Spain or Portugal, is that it's got a very strong you know, history identity. So most people would actually wear club kit club jerseys, whereas other countries such as, you know, in America, they are really happy to, you know, get stuff that you wouldn't see anywhere else. So we've got, yeah, a huge market in America and we reckon this is where, you know, we're going to grow. The Café du Cycle stuff is very, um, it stands out well because it is very non-traditional, isn't it? You, you use sort of non-traditional cycling patterns and, uh, and images. Yeah, absolutely. So if we look, for instance, at this summer's collection, Remy has taken a huge, you know, inspiration from, you know, trips that he's had, for instance, in North Africa. So he went to, you know, Morocco and as, you know, you'd see like in haute couture, he would just go and get, you know, some fabrics and patterns and colours. And if you think about, let's say, Yves Saint Laurent, he would, you know, go in North Africa and get all those, you know, colour palettes and then implement them into the garment. And this is exactly what you have at Café du Cycliste. We basically go and source products. So Remy goes every year at, you know, a, um, a fashion show uh, in Paris, which is called Premier Vision. And basically, he, you know, seek out for new garments and try and then assemble all of this in Europe. Everything is basically made bespoke. So you've got, you know, a minimal range of collections. So we produce everything in a small Quantity. The, the thing that I've seen with, with cycling over the years is it is it's interesting to hear about the French market because having just spent the last month there and you see the locals turning up, they're not on new kit. They are in old they they've got their money's worth they've out of it. They've been to Decathlon, haven't they? And it, <laughs> yes. yeah. and they make it last, whereas And they're whereas, suspicious of things, I think, also like discs and electric gears totally, as well. Yeah. Because it's they black don't magic. Think they need them. Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. it's all black magic. It's dark arts. Uh, whereas whereas now the the thing I when I when I speak to people and and they they ask me a lot. Obviously, having looked inside bikes as well as just the, the kind of the polished exterior or the the dull matte exterior, whichever you go for, and they said, well, what what would you have? What would you buy? And I said, 
I don't really, it's a difficult question, it's what it's about, but I said ultimately what cycling is about, it's how good your bike looks when it's parked up, lent against the cafe wall, and what you look like and how you feel in your kit, because it, it used to be that the clothing and the bike was all about getting out on the bike and riding it and fulfilling that purpose, which you can do on pretty much anything in anything. But it's gone beyond that now, I think, for, for so many people, apart from those in France, because it is very old school. They take and it serious, they take it properly. Yeah, um, there it's it's all yeah. about the, the riding and, and getting a sweat on, whereas here it's and, and around the world it's different, I think. Someone that I was talking to um at the weekend was saying that actually what drives cycle design and clothing design now is what's it gonna look like on Instagram? Have you have you found that, Morgan? Yeah, absolutely. Most of um the customers I've got here in the uh, London store, they are seeking for something that again stand out from you know the mass if we look at our beep shorts especially this summer it's been a massive you know sell um like navy most beep shorts would be normally you know black well we decided to go navy and we realized that the navy is the new black <laughs> it's been yeah all over the place and that sense that people just don't want to look like they're riding the tour de france exactly yeah. yeah because not everyone you know is a pro cyclist so you still you basically want to have you know both options where you can be a pro cyclist but you could also just go in the mountains and be a tiny more you know relaxed on the bike so for anyone uh, new to the brand there's basically no better way than obviously coming you know to our store in London and trying on the kit because obviously if you go on the website you're going to think oh really nice design um you know I'm really interested but most people actually coming through our doors once they are there say wow it's absolutely not what I was expecting and again coming back to you know the avant-gardist aspect of Café du Cyclist um we've you know launched a atelier collection this summer with a jersey which was made of velvet and that's something you'd not see you know oh you got me now there you go <laughs> and where, where's the london store exactly it's uh, basically in spitterfields so liverpool street station i've got a pair of your uh, long winter leggings and they are the best i've ever owned sweet absolutely love them Thank you, Morgan. Uh, no Stuart Clapp on this edition. He's in Japan, so he'll doubtless be back uh, very soon with all kinds of obscure kit and accessories and stories. Do get your tickets for the Ruler Classic. You will regret it if you don't. Thanks to Ian, uh, Rob Hales, uh, Morgan Bigot. See you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 